Welcome back to the Focus on Agriculture podcast. I'm your host, Preston. And I'm Jason. Jason, today we're talking about ag technology. Yeah, Preston, this is the first episode of our three-part series about ag tech we're going to be doing over this summer here. And today we spoke with Scott Spall, who is one of our co-workers with the Climate Corporation. Yeah, Jason, Scott's got an interesting perspective. Uh, I really appreciated him talking about some of the current technology that climate offers farmers. Uh, but then also to hear Scott talk about the future and some of the things that are in the pipeline, but also the ways that ag tech in general uh, is going to help benefit farmers from an ROI perspective, from a sustainability perspective, from a transparency perspective. Uh, really, he gets into a lot of detail. Yeah, and as the listeners know, we both enjoy talking about history and we enjoy talking about the future. So let's get right into conversation with Scott. Well, welcome to the podcast, Scott. It's good to have you on today. To kick things off, could you tell our listeners a little bit about your background and what you're up to now? Sure. Yeah. Thanks, guys, for uh, the invite. I'm excited to, to have a conversation with you. Um, so I have a, I mean, my, my background's not a traditional ag background. So I actually have a master's in plant physiology. Um, I was studying uh, photosynthetic capacity of old trees uh, with the, the goal of really applying that information to global climate change models, understanding how our ecosystem is processing carbon for us being a very large contributor to that. Um, and so uh, the move to St. Louis introduced me to the world of agriculture and started working in uh, the, what was then our chemistry organization in Monsanto. And um, I was working on high throughput assay development. Uh, we were doing nematicide discovery. Um, so both chemistry and biological. And that fit into our seed treatment pipeline of, um, you know, not only just the individual components, but then also the whole package that would become our seed treatments. I did that for about eight years, um, and then I moved into market development. And in that role, I was really focused on testing all of our new corn hybrids that were coming out of our breeding pipeline for response to density. So that information was used across the organization for giving an educated recommendation uh, to growers about how we should be planting our different products on their farm. Um, and of course, that led me then into my current role, which is at uh, Climate. And um, the team is the alpha team. So we test the new models that are coming out of our modeling, science modeling organization on farm. So we, we have a, a process that really looks at, all right, does the model do what we think it should do? Um, but then it has to be applicable to a grower as well. So um, we're kind of that next step in that process. And so we spend a lot of time sitting down with growers, vetting out, does this recommendation make sense to you? How can we provide this information in a meaningful way to you um, so that you can be successful on your farm? So it's, it's a really cool role in that we're that interface directly with a grower with our new science. So how do you do that when you sit down with a farmer and you have some totally new product that they've never, you know, maybe it's not, maybe it's a tweak on an old product. Maybe it's a totally new product, but you sit down with a farmer. How do you really determine if it's going to work for them? I mean, how does that conversation go, I guess? Yeah. So, I mean, this is, this is where we're going with digital ag, right? It's the mm -hmm. interface of understanding our products at a granular level. Um, and then how that information applies to them on their farm. So we understand with FieldView the performance that they're seeing with their products. Um, and so we can start putting those two things together, right? 
we know in an R&D environment, we're never going to be able to test on every acre, right? The, the, every environment that a grower may experience, we're not able to do that. And so by pairing what we know in the R&D pipeline with what we know customers are experiencing in the field, we can get a better idea about how these products are going to perform on their acre. And so the way that we've positioned it historically is, hey, we'd like to have a conversation with you about how we see the portfolio of products that would best perform on your acre and get your feedback. So it's really a partnership. And I, and I think that moving forward that um, the industry as a whole is going to start reshaping around it being more of a partnership. So Scott, you're in, you're in alpha testing and obviously Correct. alpha testing, there's things that, you know, enhancements that come out that maybe don't end up making it to a commercial product. What, what's your success rate or your failure rate just in general in alpha testing? Um, so it's, it's a, it's pretty new in the grand scheme of things. It's a pretty new testing environment, right? I mean, we've only been doing this for six years as an alpha testing. Um, and every year we, we grow that uh, pipeline a little bit. Um, so the, the most, I guess, developed product that is out there right now is a, a seated visor. And that is something that we're working with select dealers on. Um, and we're basically now working on the next steps of improvements for that. So we really just have that one piece that we we can say is a success and it's moving forward in our development pipeline. Um, I, I think one of the things that I struggle with the most in communicating with growers is that there hasn't been a clear message in my mind of growers seeing the value of large data sets to them individually. And that's what we're trying to do here, right? Is um, you have the conversation with growers about what does the, the larger data set mean for their success in their farm. And this is going to be the first example where we're able to do that. Um, it's a hard concept to wrap your head around um, because at the end of the day, everybody cares about the performance on their acre. Um, and so how do you translate a large amount of information to what they would experience on their farm? And that's a big leap for a lot of people. Yeah, I'm just, I was just kind of curious about, you know, you, you come out with an enhancement and, you, and you, you think it sounds great, but then, you know, for whatever reason, it, it doesn't work out. I know I, I worked in breeding for a long time and, and the kind of the joke was that's the only job where you can fail like 99 and a half percent of the time and be successful, right? So I was yeah. just kind of curious, you know, these great enhancements, they seem great in theory on paper, they even work, yep. but then, you know, the farmer, for whatever reason, they don't bring value to the farmer in the way that we thought they would. And I just kind of, you know, it, it seems like when you're, when you're in very early testing of something, you're going to have some hits and misses. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, if you reframe it in that perspective, I think that, I think the thing we find the most is not necessarily the content, but the way in which you present it to them. Uh -huh. Right. Um, by the time we're dealing with it, it's a commercial corn hybrid that we're working with. In most cases, they've seen those hybrids before in the traditional way in which they're recommended products, right? And, and I would like to just put a plug in there. This is not intended to replace any local expertise, right? This is intended to enhance that. Um, and, and so the thing that I would say when, when you talk about your success rate uh, from a breeding perspective of like you fail a lot before you get the one thing that works we see a lot of failure around the way we present the information and that changing that conversation allows us to point out to them how they can derive value from it. Um, I, uh, a strong example that 
that I've seen here, and I've just been in, in this role for one year, is when you go to a grower and you make a recommendation of products, they immediately make the jump to, well, where should I put those on my farm? You guys have all this data. Tell me where I should put them. And um, <clears throat> we've found that if we switch the order that we present the information, it's the same information, but say, all right, here's your entire operation. And think about it like you would see in FieldView currently is you've got a map of all your fields. Um, my vision really is all of that information that they have uh, that we're going to recommend for that operation should be surfaced in that visual context to say, if you have a recommendation for me, I want to see it on these fields and I want to be able to modify that recommendation for all of the things that you can't model for. Think about their motivations, right? Sure, dollar signs motivate people uh, on, on a bottom line, but there are other things to consider there, the relationship, who they're, who they're renting the land from. Um, all of those components are going to change whether or not our recommendation is 100% accurate. But again, our goal is really how do I surface that information in a way that you can make a decision quickly, accurately, and efficiently execute it on your operation? And you can't do that if you're not thinking about it on a map level. How are they going to make this whole thing work on their farm? Perfect. Well, Scott, changing gears a little bit, me and Jason always talk about the amount of data that, you know, we're collecting, yeah. that farmers collect, you know, you look at some of these yield maps and there's, or even planning maps, and it's just like all these millions of data points across a, a geographical area of whatever unit you want to use, you know, um, yeah. I guess at, at a high level, can you speak to, you know, how much data is collected? I know you're with the climate now. Do you have a sense of, you know, how much data, what does that data look like? for a farm, you know, the average farm? Yeah, exactly. So I think that largely is dependent on the equipment and methods that are used, right? So if you expand that question back to what did it used to look like, um, you had one data point for that field, right? Or however many times you had to fill up that way wagon and you're averaging those out. So now we're doing it on a, you know, what is that, a nine meter squared kind of as you're driving through there collecting yield as an, I'm just using yield as an example. So from that perspective, you've got multiple hundreds of data points as you're processing yield just in general. Um, but it, it's really hard to quantify that broadly, right? Because then, then on top of that, you've got all of your so soil data points. You've got all of the layers that are associated with imagery that maybe um, are pulled in there. So giving a, a specific number is really hard to do. Um, and, and the context of, of the question really is important there. So, and in addition to that, it's not my area of expertise, so I couldn't even begin to answer that question, but I but, think it's important to think about it broadly like that. Basically the answer is in, in a lot of cases, a lot. The historical yeah. <laughs> context is, yeah. The, I mean, like you said, it's one data point per way wagon load, you know, yeah. really not that long ago. And here we are in 2022 exactly. and it's an infinite amount of <laughs> data points. You know, data is not really the problem. It's the interpretation yeah. of that data. That... Yeah. I think, I think the piece that's really interesting to me when you talk about data points is that there's still in the industry seems to be a disconnect between understanding the performance of your operation from a field view perspective and then what does that mean when you go to the elevator? When you're selling that grain, there still is a disconnect there that I think the industry is really going to have to wrestle with in the, the near future when we talk about how are growers profitable on a broad scale. 
I think that's somewhat related to my next question here. And this is for, you know, the farmers are very aware of how much data they're collecting and how they use yeah. that. But we also have listeners who aren't farmers and they're consumers or maybe they're interested in agriculture. Yeah. So how, can you just speak briefly about how the data that farmers collect is used? The way that I like to frame up the way that farmers can use their data, not necessarily the way they, they may be doing it, is that we're trying to provide a platform in which they can do the analysis that's important to them, right? Whether you want to do that on a hybrid level or a field level, it's really going to depend on what are you digging into to understand. And that conversation goes back to what are their motivations, right? From an ROI perspective, you can imagine that all of that's going to be aggregated to how accurate is what I'm seeing in field view versus what I'm selling. But if we're thinking about how you make incremental improvements on that operation, that's really where these digital recommendations come in because we need to highlight to a grower, the end user of our products, um, where we think they can see an improvement and then make a recommendation on that, right? Um, every blockbuster yield chasing product is not going to be the answer for every grower. And, and we we're fully aware of that. And so, like you said, you got a million data points. How do I distill that down to something that you're going to execute on, on your operation becomes challenging to do at scale. And that's, that's really what we're wrestling with when we talk about our digital recommendations. Um, and you add on top of that all the different layers. So you've got all your data layers, but then you have all the layers that, that a grower is executing on. Um, so you've got just, you know, planting, harvest, application history, um, nitrogen applications. Then you have, you know, your weather component for that year. So being able to see that in a, in a way that allows them to make executable decisions is the, the piece that we need we need to wrestle with um, moving forward in, in climate. So Scott, as you mentioned, there's obvious, you know, there's clear benefits to growers in a lot of cases, how they use this data. They may take a soil map of a field and, and look at the fertility across the field and, and use variable rate yeah. fertilizer applications, for instance, or, you know, uh, look at their yield maps and, and see if there's a problem area in the field and they might want to do something for the next year. Now, where there's a little bit more, um, maybe, uh, I, I don't know, mistrust maybe is, is maybe not the right word, but farmers are hesitant maybe to share their data back to a company in some cases because they, yeah. you know, that we, we have this, as consumers, we all have this maybe mistrust of, we want to keep our information close to the vest so that it's not used against us or, you know, to, to somehow, you know, the company benefits a company, but not us. But, but really, in a lot of cases, if a company like Bayer, the Climate Corporation, can collect data, it can benefit farmers in the long run. And can you speak to that just a little bit? Yeah. So, I mean, one, we've got all the policies in place to make sure that we're keeping all of their data private. And really what we're looking for is on average, did what we expect out of a product from, an, from our R&D perspective play out on your operation? And without, without growers sharing that data of just the general product performance overall, it's gonna be really hard to narrow down to what people should expect out of that. Um, I, I mean, to me, the, and of course, uh, you know, I have a, I'm not a farmer, so 
Um, my perspective is slightly different, but if if companies are able to provide a check about what expectations the the grower should have around this product, I think that's the um, the visibility that the consumers should want. Um, and and so if and again, it goes back to what I said. This should be a partnership. Um, the growers and bear crop science working together to make sure that they're profitable on their acre. That's the partnership that should happen here. Let's be honest, the days of some new technology coming out and showing somebody 10, 20 bushels yield lift are pretty much gone. And so now it's really, all right, how do I use my information to do my job faster, to do my job cheaper, more efficiently, however you want to frame it. That to me is where digital agriculture is really going to change the game because you're going to start introducing all sorts of different components, uh, sustainability, alternate revenue streams that we weren't able to do before because we didn't have clarity around what all was happening um, at, you know, at a minute scale to be able to aggregate it all together and figure out how we could benefit jointly across all these efforts. Yeah, it can sound a little, um, I don't know, buzzwordy or something, but really it's a partnership in a lot of cases because... Yeah. If the farmers don't succeed, the companies don't succeed and, and vice Correct. versa. So it's, it's yeah. really a working together to make the best recommendations and tailor things to a, to a farmer's operation. Yeah. The piece that I, I keep going back to is our breeding organization does a really good job of consistently bringing yield to our organization. Um, the Climate Corporation looking for some dramatic change is probably not going to happen broadly. Are there operations out there that can use some help in selecting the best product? Of course. Um, but it's really maximizing all of those selections across the board where people are going to see the most success. And, um, and really, the key to that is a partnership that involves sharing of information in both directions. Well, Scott, you kind of mentioned some of the, I mean, obviously we've talked about ROI and, you know, ag tech can benefit farmers from a budget perspective. And then you've mentioned like some, yeah. some potential sustainability increases. Can you maybe dive a little deeper into some of the potential there, like from a sustainability perspective for the consumers out there listening, you know, from a sustainability standpoint, what benefits yeah. does this technology platform provide? This goes back to my, my background is actually in, you know, ecology, plant physiology, um, in, in the form of ecology. And so I'm really excited about this space. Um, that's one of the main reasons that I wanted to come over to climate because I see the potential for what we're doing in this organization um, to really capture what to me is alternate revenue streams, right? It's to put a dollar sign associated with people making good decisions, uh, not only for their farm, but for the environment. And I know that sounds really uh, fluffy and green, um, but FieldView's the, the foundation for all of that, right? If we don't have an understanding of all the inputs that are going in and what's coming out, we're never gonna be able to assess what that means from a sustainability perspective. So that's the foundation. Secondarily, then we can start to measure the impact of the decisions that a grower is making on their farm. Um, and, and this is gonna be a partnership with organizations beyond you know, bear crop science, right? Um, we're going to have to create partnerships with all sorts of different components of the industry to make sure that this is a work in progress. And we've just started that, right? We have the, the sustainability efforts around uh, carbon that's already embedded with the field view experience. 
And, and that is the foundation, right? You have to have that partnership in place. Beyond that, I don't know that I can speak too much to that subject, but uh, I guess I'll add that the other component of that is that we go back to that R&D testing pipeline. We can also start building into our R&D pipeline and understanding of the sustainability of our products and systems as they're put in place into the market. And um, I think that's the other piece that we, we're going to add to the overall bear crop science experience. We have field view, we have all of our product knowledge, and then you partner that with the grower information. We're going to be able to provide them with everything that they need to do, whatever it is they want to do specifically in that sustainability space. And I think also we touched on a little bit earlier. I mean, well, for one thing, sustainability can kind of be a a catch-all for a lot of things, but when we talk about the use of the efficient use of inputs, which is, I would say, one important definition of sustainability, uh, we kind of talked about that earlier where a grower can look at the field maps, for instance, the soil maps across the field and and do variable rate fertilizer applications, which may allow the use of, you know, 10%, 20% less fertilizer across the field or uh, even a lower seeding rate in one part of the field and maybe use a little bit less seed or, you know, other kinds of inputs too, even from a crop protection perspective, if, if they can be a little more aggressive on their herbicide program in one area of the field, maybe there's, there's really a lot of ways where yep. inputs can be maximized rather than the 10 year ago approach of one size fits all where you're doing the same thing across an entire field. So I think that's a really low hanging fruit and farmers are seeing the benefits of that currently. How about, Scott, for the listeners who are not farmers, does this kind of adoption of technology have any impact in your mind on on food costs and food prices? Oh, man, that's such a complex system, right? And <laughs> you, you want to you go down the rabbit hole there. So one, this is definitely not my area of expertise. Um, but as, as to your point, right, if, if we as an organization, Bear Crop Science Globally, does everything that you just said so that we know the impact of individual components. Climate is then positioned to measure the impact of them holistically, right? The entire system approach, um, which I know is also a buzzword. And um, that is going to have a ripple effect. The larger component that I think is really interesting and I have very limited knowledge on is that the downstream effect, right, of where does the grain go afterwards, to me is the part that growers don't have a whole lot of say in um, that I think is really interesting. But I think that has more of an effect on cost of food than actually what's happening on the farmer level. And, and that to me is a something that really FieldView can help address, right? If, if a grower knows exactly what he's producing, and has a metric over time of all of those components, then the conversation with the downstream um, you know, user of that grain all of a sudden becomes a conversation that we can have in a, a more meaningful way, um, which I think speaks to farmer profitability in general. I mean, yields haven't changed dramatically in the last you know, five, 10 years. So we all know what's happening with inflation right now. So what does that mean, right? All the input costs go up, yeah, okay, grain prices are reflecting that a little bit. But at the end of the day, if this guy, you know, if a a farmer wants to pass this on as a business to their family, um, you you really got to start looking at what can we do now to set ourselves up for success in the future? 
I, I mean, I, I really do believe that products like FieldView, and I know there's other options out there, are really the way to be able to start doing that and bring an alternate alternate revenue streams to growers um, and for us to really start thinking outside the box of what can we do in this space. It's pretty exciting, really. Yeah, definitely. Food transparency is huge now from a consumer perspective and yeah. technologies like these that allow that that chain of information uh, and tracking is definitely valuable. Scott, I want you to look into your crystal ball real quick and maybe think about the future. Uh, you have a really cool job with climate, you know, looking at stuff that's pre-commercial. I guess in just a general sense, are you optimistic about the future? And if so, what are you most excited about the future of, of ag technology? I'm really excited uh, about this space. I mean, we've touched on a, a lot of them here over our conversation. I think the partnerships with, and, and really what it comes down to is we're blurring the lines between technology in general and agriculture, right? I mean, everything that we're doing from a technology perspective is now being applied in the ag space. And so really there's a ton of potential there for people to come up with creative solutions to problems that have plagued the industry for years. You brought up the visibility around where our grain goes, what it's used for and why. Um, is just one thing, but you know, the, the sustainability piece is another one, um, crystal ball, man, that's a tough one. Yeah. I mean, I, I think to me, the most exciting piece is really the sustainability area. And can we start to understand how and why are people farming the land? And can we have a conversation about, um, the, the return on investment that a grower will get from their entire operation and being able to make decisions on what grain we produce, where is it going, um, you know, who is it feeding, all that kind of stuff. Um, that's what I'm most excited about. I think it's going to happen. It, it definitely takes a lot longer than we want it to, that's for sure. This is maybe scary to some, maybe promising to others. Do you think we're headed to a place where a lot of the decision-making is more automated and, and it's less human input? Farmers would make less decisions, maybe not that they wouldn't have any input, but where it'd be more automated and, you know, artificial intelligence type decision-making? Yeah. You know, in the last five years, the, the buzz in, 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 you know, the ag space of AI is, is going to revolutionize everything. Um to an extent, right? So we can use AI to deal with very large data sets, make insightful recommendations. But at the end of the day, there is not a computer out there that can tell me the motivations of the grower that I'm sitting across the table from. And I don't ever foresee us in a situation where that's not gonna be a relationship and a conversation. In my mind, what AI is allowing us to do is to surface the best information to that grower that they care about based on a relationship I have with them and hopefully enable guys in the field. I mean, we only have so many people that can go out and talk to a farmer. Um, and so now if I've got a tool that will quickly enable me to make recommendations to more people to make sure they're getting the right information, that is to me where we're going to use this technology the most. So no, I don't think AI is going to replace us, but I do think that we'll be able to provide more insightful information to more people. 
on the side note, one thing that kind of excites me too in the same vein about the future of ag is just the fact that platforms like climate allow farmers to now become basically scientists. You know, they can try things Correct. on their own farm. They can see how things perform um, rather than just, you know, we go back to the single data point. Now they can get really yep. to whatever level of granularity they want to from a product performance standpoint. So uh, yep. I anticipate that trend to continue as climate continues yep. to advance. Yep. I think we should, I think we should challenge, uh, challenge growers to do that. Right. I mean, if you want to talk about a two-way street, a partnership around data in both directions, um, there's absolutely no reason that these growers shouldn't be challenging the recommendations that we make to them. And I mean, I know in the alpha program, that's one of the cool things we get to see, uh, is that challenge of like, well, you know, you guys say that we should do this. Um, it's fun to see how often we can help them make the right decision. Um, but it's really also pretty darn interesting to, to see their local expertise trump science at a broad scale. Happens all the time. And again, it goes back to that AI question. We're never going to replace the farmer. We're never going to replace the you know, technical agronomist expertise in the field. Um, but hopefully we can, th- this, these are the two goals I have. Make less wrong decisions and make sure that my wrong decisions are really, really small. And, and if we do that as a team, everybody's going to be successful, right? Yeah, that's good. We're going to quote that and tweet that out. That last quote, that was beautiful. <laughs> yeah, Scott, no, that's good stuff. We appreciate your time here. Uh, normally we plug stuff at the end of the podcast. I'm going to take the opportunity to plug the climate around the farm podcast Uh, I personally subscribe to that and listen to it a lot. Other than that, is there anything that you want to plug? Like, do you have a Twitter or anything like that? Uh, No, I don't have a Twitter. I, I, um, I don't uh, tweet. I scream like an Eagle is uh, one that I, somebody told me that one once. Um, No. So I don't have that. I I would just say that when people have questions going to climate.com and I mean, just encourage people to go there, see what, see what we're doing there. Um, because at the end of the day, the quality of the data and the partnership that we have with growers is what's going to enable us all to benefit. So we just got to keep encouraging people to explore climate.com and, and FieldView to see if we can help them do their job better, faster, maybe cheaper. Well, thanks for your time, Scott. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. Thanks, guys. The views expressed on this program are not necessarily those of the program hosts or their employer.